From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development at an affordable price. Also by ShowTheSafeties.com, if you haven't uh, signed the petition to get wider angles, which we're starting to get traction on, wider angles for the modern passing game on television, televised football, then go ahead and sign that uh when you get a chance, EPR Creations put that site together for me, by the way. And then also by ShenRealEstate.com, Shenandoah Newsma Real Estate up in the Research Triangle in uh, North Carolina. And then Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. And finally, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Thanks to all the sponsors for this. Today, we are going to go through my initial thoughts on the spring game. And yeah, I know I'm releasing this several days later than the normal hot takes podcast. This is not quite a hot takes podcast. It's sort of in between. Uh, I was not really able to watch the spring game with the level of attention that I wanted to, to be able to give a good episode until now. So I I figured I'd wait, go ahead and and put together some more some more some thoughts with more clarity at this stage rather than just immediate uh responses and then we'll revisit some things uh some specifics over the course of the off season as I'm able to go back and evaluate more specifics uh and do more you know freezing cold type takes on this in any case uh just in terms of initial thoughts it's always hard to evaluate spring games. It, that that's just it's just a fact of of college football, and that's mostly because I mean you're dealing with watching. Well, there's several factors. One is you're dealing with mixed lineups where you're going to have twos lined up with ones. You're going to have ones going against twos, twos going against ones, threes going against ones. You're going to get a scholarship top player going up against a walk on all sorts of different things that impact that. Plus the other thing is that you you're, you're going against yourself. So, I mean, this goes back to a couple of years ago, basically everybody who was watching or who had any sources connected to Florida state was hearing that the secondary at Florida state was going to be pretty good that year. And then it turned out they weren't very good. It's just that the wide receivers they were going up against were the worst in the ACC. It's the worst unit in the ACC at that position. And that's one of those things where when you're playing against yourself, sometimes it's hard to tell whether that guy's really that good or whether he's just going against guys that are not that good also. Uh, One thing that, that does help is when you've got a team with as much returning as Florida State does this year, you actually have some proven guys. You know where they stand relative to other other guys in the country and you go, okay, well, I know that guy's pretty good. And I know that guy's pretty good. And I know that guy's not that good. So when I see these guys against those guys, I can evaluate more, more clearly. And so essentially what I tried to do is grade on a curve to some degree and evaluate based on, you know, thinking about who guys were going up against. So if you think about it, like, Kentron Poitier looked a lot better in in certain areas, continued to grow from last year. But I mean, the high, the, the touchdown catch and then the highlight one handed catch, both of those came against walk-ons. So, you know, how much do you, 
adjust for that. And you say, well, you know, that's good. It's good to see the the strong hands, good to see the traits, but but also I'd like to see more separation against a walk-on. You know, touchdown catch, well, you know, good. Glad to see him running a good route, wide open there. But again, probably not going to be as open against a against a better player. So those are the sorts of things that you have to have to adjust and, and, and think about when you're evaluating a, a spring game. The other thing is that you're, you're talking about guys that are out. You know, a lot of guys didn't play in this game and some probably would have played had it been during the year, but they're holding them out for a variety of reasons. I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot more out of the last few practices of spring spring ball. If you're, you know, a guy that's a two, three year starter, right? I mean, we didn't see really any Fabian love it in this game. Well, yeah, of course you didn't. What, what's the point? Why would you want him to play in this game? You you know what you have there. Put that guy in bubble wrap, get him through camp, and release him. Let him go. You know, let him let him turn him loose. So that's the other the other factor when you're evaluating the strength of a team as a whole. So yeah, when I, when I'm when I'm evaluating this, there's a lot of those little things that that I'm I'm kind of keeping in mind and. Those of you who are watching again or, or listening to this should also keep in mind. I mean, everything coming out of spring is with a grain of salt. You, you just have to do it that way. And the guys that are out, I mean, the, these are the there, there's several guys that are going to play a lot. I mean, Robert Scott, starter, Darian Williamson, when he's healthy, he's been a starter at wide receiver, might be your number two receiver, really. Uh, Braden Fisk was not brought in to ride the bench. Those three guys didn't play. Malcolm Ray. Kevin Knowles, those are both guys that have, you know, they're on the depth chart. Kenton Kirkland, Keziah Holmes, a little bit lower there. Joshua Burrell, Jackson West could probably have gotten some more knowledge about some of those guys than what we have. And you also can't forget Travis Jay. I mean, he didn't play in this game either. And that's a guy that, you know, I would have liked to have seen certainly in this game based on how he flashed earlier in, in spring. So just a lot a lot of, of, of gaps there that you, you don't know how those guys are going to fit into the larger roster necessarily when they return. Although a couple of them, you know, they're, they're going to be in the mix as soon as they're available. If they're available, they're, they're in the mix. They're, they're starters or, or playing starter, starter reps. So a lot of guys did flash in this game. We'll, we'll go through, uh, initially I was, I was thinking about just going through and talking about the guys that flashed and guys that disappointed or whatever, but I think better to, to organize this based on how I sort of put the preview together based on stuff I thought we should be looking for things that I was interested in going in. And I'm, I'm, I want to see, I want to talk about how some of those questions and the things that I was interested in sort of panned out in the, in the spring game once we, we got to see those things. So first thing that was on my list was the receiver question. That that second and third receiver question is is still a big one, and and I I think there's still a lot of questions, and and that's kind of expected. Uh, there's still a lot of questions coming out of out of the spring about who the number two and number three receiving options at wide receiver are going to be on this team. Uh, I think you did at least get some answers in terms of the discussion, the buzz about Kentron Poitier so far in in, in camp. You got some answers that okay that that looks looks legitimate. He clearly was the number two wide receiver uh, 
you know, obviously plugging Johnny Wilson, who also didn't play in this game. Uh, Johnny Wilson put him out there, and Poitier is is clearly your number two wide receiver once he's back out there, uh, based on what you saw in in the spring scrimmage, and played well. And is a guy that if he plays like that all year, you feel good about that. You feel like you've got a guy that that is a consistent, true number two wide receiver who you know can can threaten teams downfield, can be a big body go up, make contested catches, be a reliable pass catcher with strong hands, those sorts of things. Very, very good signs that he's continuing to uh, to develop there. But he kind of knew mostly what he was already. Question is, can Williamson, when Darian Williamson comes back, if, if he can get healthy, and again, availability is the most important ability. You can't, you know, all the other abilities don't matter if you, if you aren't available. But can Williamson edge ahead of him and and be the number two, the true number two option come come fall? You kind of hope so, because Williamson is the guy that is the more dynamic athlete. He's a guy that's, a, you know, faster, a little quicker and, and also even a bigger body. So ideally, what you'd have is Williamson edges edges ahead to be the number two guy. And then Poitier becomes a really solid number three. And still, you've got to figure out, okay, who can play the the kind of pokey Wilson big play role? The guy that that made some of those over-the-top big plays and was able to stretch defenses down the field a little bit last year. Is there anybody that they've got that can fill that? I mean, Williamson, maybe. I mean, he's got maybe enough speed to do that. I think Poitier is a different kind of wide receiver. He's more of a steady number two with the strong hands, wins with positioning, you know, can win contested catches and all that but not so much some of the the downfield stretch stuff that that Pokey brought to the, to last year's team. Do Span is a guy that that could do it. He's got definitely got the wheels for it and the frame for it if he takes the next step and there were a couple plays that he made in this one, you know, again flashing some soft hands, but the interception that that uh Jordan Travis threw to uh that uh, that was taken by Kalen Deloach that interception actually gave an example of where Deuce Span still needs to to refine some things to be able to raise the floor. It was a bad throw by uh, by Jordan Travis. He's going to get a minus on that in, in film review. And it's certainly one of those plays where they're in basically a rat or a robber type coverage. And that's one where Deloach has seen that play enough times in spring that he's just undercut. Like he knows what the concept is and he's undercutting that. And that's going to happen in spring sometimes. You just, the defense is, is, tired of seeing the same stuff and a guy goes and just takes it. So Travis throws it a little bit too far inside, but span sort of waited on it. And ideally if that ball's thrown where that is, he's got to come downhill and, and get in the way of it and at least make that a, an incompletion rather than an interception. That should have been an incompletion with Deloach kind of running through him and the ball just not quite being broken up because he waited on it and didn't come downhill enough for it. That, that turned into a pick six. So that's one of those things where uh, Span, you know, there's still some places where he, he clearly has to get more consistent, needs to take the next step. But again, you hope that going into next year, he, he's probably, you know, second on the depth chart, sharing sort of the number two spot on the depth chart there at the number two wide receiver position or, or what they call the, the, the two position, the, 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 what the flanker position, the, uh, 
the Z position in most offenses. He's probably second on the depth chart there. If he can take the next step there, that, that gives you somebody that you feel can take can make a, a few of those downfield big play big plays with his with his speed. And then the slot is still a significant question. I mean, Winston Wright was mostly uh, absent, you know, mostly uh, not not absent, but was pretty quiet in this game. Uh, and some of that's by design. I mean, they didn't really go after him a lot. Uh, they tried to run a couple screens to him and there was there were some missed blocks or, you know, defense was anticipating it, that sort of thing. But, you know, you don't really still know what you have with Winston Wright at this point. How much is he going to continue to develop and and how how you know as he gets healthier more confident over the summer into the fall is he going to take that next step forward you don't know is Pittman going to be back and ready to roll I think given the the, the surgery he had done probably doubtful but that that's still a question you are happy with what you saw from the freshman I mean Vandravius Jacobs flashed made some plays I think it's evident that he's going to be a factor earlier in his career than later they brought him in, and he's already a wide receiver with a lot of those instincts that some guys like Deuce Span, for example, are, st- are still trying to figure out. They're trying to coach those guys. Jacobs already has that stuff. He's just not quite the physical freak of some of these others. But he's a developed. He, he's already de- uh, a more developed player coming in than a lot of guys are in second, second year, even third year at that position. So that's a, that's a plus. Do you really want him as your as a guy that's a, a a primary, you know, a starter coming into next year. I don't think so, but he's a guy that can at least help you. Hakeem Williams also, to me, looks a year away, but you can see the the the, the raw athleticism. Uh, it's almost Andre Johnson-ish, not quite as fast as Johnson, but once he gets fully into college shape and figures out how to do some things, he's going to be a really interesting player. So overall, I thought the receiver position was kind of what ex- what I expected. Uh, still some questions, but still a lot to, to feel pretty good about in terms of the overall unit. Now, the real clarity that, that we got from the scrimmage in, in this respect is, I think this is going to be a base 12 personnel team. So one back, two tight ends team. So last year was a base 11 team where, you know, Pittman in the slot was the primary guy and they went 12 personnel with a, with a tight end and a and a an H back type uh, type players together, some, but it was mostly eleven personnel last year, which is the default personnel in college football. I think this team's a base twelve personnel team. I think they're going to run more plays, most likely out of a base twelve personnel, so one back two tights, than they will out of any other thing this year, and that's because both Morlock and Jaheim Bell were hits. I mean, y'all, you knew what Bell was coming in because he was already a star at South Carolina. Those guys add a different dynamic to your offense. And I think what this, what, what basically you're able to do, I think your slot receiver really is Jaheim Bell. So you're going to see Winston Wright in that spot a good amount. If Pittman's back, you're going to see him some too. But if Pittman isn't back... And I think, again, it's going to take a while for him to recover from that surgery. I think your primary slot receiver winds up being Jaheim Bell, who is just staying on the field from being an H-back, tight end, whatever. And now he lines up in the slot. And you can 
do so much by moving those guys around and basically forcing teams to match your big personnel and then have a bigger guy matching up against a guy like Bell in the slot and going, that guy can't cover that guy. So I think you're going to see this team be more of a base personnel, base 12 personnel team, which really goes into a lot of Mike Norvell's preferences. He likes to be able to run the football and control the game with the ground game. And and you think about, you got Jordan Travis with his legs and the, the, the stress that those, that his leg, his running ability puts on, on defenses. It makes a lot of sense to further lean into that and say, we're going to be a run first football team and we're going to pound you with big personnel. I think that's what they're going to do. And it wasn't just those two. I mean, Jarrell Powers flashed to me. 89, go back and watch it. Look at his frame. Look how look how he looks moving around. That guy looks pretty good there. There's a lot of promise there. He's raw. A couple times he didn't hold on to blocks, still learning how to how to how to leverage what he's got, but that's an athlete. And that's a guy that I think can be a, a player. He's kind of a year away, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a little bit of time this year, especially in garbage time to to, to develop as he moves forward. That's a guy I think has a lot of promise. And Marquiston Douglas, Biscuit is still Biscuit. Preston Daniel still doing his thing. So you got four tight ends now that have some experience and can block and you feel pretty good about. Morlock, Bell, Douglas, and Daniel. You feel pretty good about that whole group. And you can you can go 13 personnel. I mean, down in the red zone, don't be surprised to see a, a decent amount of 13 personnel and, and, and in short yardage where you're going to go Douglas and Morlock and then Bell and then Johnny Wilson. And you got a, that's a lot of size that you can put on the field together without sacrificing a lot in terms of passing capacity or receiving ability. I was also pleased with with how Courtney moved. I mean, he again, he's a, he and Powers, I think, have a lot of promise at that position. I mean, he, I think Courtney again is another guy that's really just a year away given the depth, but he can be a guy that, that given how he moves can actually be a, a weapon in the future. Still learning again, how to block, how to, how to do everything at that position. But that's a strong, strong position group. Now I, I do wonder, I mean, Jackson West didn't play in this, in this game, but given all those other bodies and what, what they look like, you, you do wonder whether he's just going to wind up lost in the shuffle here. But I mean that's a that's a really strong room, with with the additions of Morlock and Bell, you you feel really good about that, and you're going to get two guys on the field a lot together this year. And again, with Bell, he runs like a slot receiver already, or runs like a receiver at least, and you can put him in all sorts of different spots, and you're forcing teams. The benefit of going so take just a step back for a second, and and, and I'm going to say this more than once this off season. The benefit of going 12 personnel more, the benefit of going with big personnel these days is basically every defense, every program in the country has been recruiting for a base nickel personnel. Everybody. Because the majority of teams in the country play 11 personnel as their base. Shotgun is what everybody starts. Everybody, virtually everybody in the country bases, you know, runs 80% of their offense out of the shotgun. And then has three wide receivers on the field at least at any time. So you recruit to that. You recruit to be able to handle 
spread offensive personnel. And then when you play against a team that says, you know what, we'd like to get you in the phone booth where that nickel now has to handle a 230-pound, 235-pound, 240-pound H-back. That guy's going to have to actually step in and, and fit against the run. Now you're not comfortable. Now you're you're bringing in a guy that is your 12th or 13th player on your on your defense, and you're putting one of your best players on the sideline to be able to match up with the with the big personnel. And you know linebackers are smaller now than they used to be. Teams generally just defenses have gotten smaller. So if you can go big, that that gives you some advantages. I I think that's really where a lot of the the kind of money ball type stuff is these days. I mean Georgia, you could see what they did with their twelve personnel last year because they had a couple freaks at at tight end, and nobody can match up with those guys. That's that's what you're hoping to do with these guys. And, I mean, they got the nation's number one tight end, who is himself an absolute freak show, to to flip from Georgia to Florida State after watching the spring game and, and visiting for the spring game. I mean, he's looking at, he's seeing the writing on the wall, and I can guarantee you they're showing him in, on the on the whiteboard and on the you know practice film and all of that. Here's what we're doing. Here's all the 12 personnel. You see what Georgia's doing? We're doing even more stuff that's cutting edge to get extra big bodies on the field. And you fit us perfectly for this. That's what they're telling him. They were able to sell him on that. And it's, I mean, it's a perfect thing. It's what Mike Norvell has wanted to do since he took over. It's why they went after so many tight ends. I mean, people were kind of making fun of why carry six, seven tight ends on your roster? Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to economize by having the ability to run a lot of big personnel to take advantage of how defenses have gotten smaller. And you're going to see that. So I think your sort of default starting lineup next year going in is probably Johnny Wilson, Jaheim Bell, Kyle Morlock, and then either Poitier or Wilson, or Poitier or Williamson, that is, on the outside. So Wilson, Bell, Morlock, and then either Poitier or Wilson as your starting four wide receiver tight end types. And then... From that group of four, then you're going to sub in Winston Wright, Pittman if he's healthy, Toa Feely, Ja'Kai Douglas, and then the other of Poitier Williamson as, you know, how that's actually going to work. So you'll sub out, say, Morlock and put in Winston Wright and keep Jaheim Bell out there. You'll sub out Bell and Morlock and put, you know, Wright and Toa Feely both out there. Sometimes you'll, you'll and again, Pittman, put him in there some as he, uh, if he's healthy. So that's, I think, what they're going to do offensively. And that's going to be a real problem for a lot of teams defensively. And especially since so many teams like to go tight front now. I mean, that's the other factor. You go tight front against 12 personnel, and those guys can all get pinned inside, and now you've got big personnel on the edge against little personnel. <laughs> You're running on the edge on you know power and, and, and counter and and some of those things on the edge and that tight, tight personnel, which is designed to handle the interior five against a, uh, against a spread attack. Now you can, you can do all sorts of things with, uh, you know, G or, uh, what's often called the down play. You can do all those sorts of gap blocking things, pin those guys inside. And you're only, you're only using three blockers against those or maybe four, 
And then you've got all these extra guys as a convoy against smaller personnel. It, it's just, it's exactly what Norvell wants to do. And they're going to be able to do it. The other reason to go big is the offensive line looks like it could be flat out dominant. And we're, we'll talk more about that later. I want to close the show with that. Because the offensive line, with that offensive line, and you pair them with big personnel, <laughs> you got a chance. You got a chance to be an elite running elite team running the football and Trey Benson and Hill and those guys behind that, you got a chance. So you feel really positive about that coming out. Even if you don't have a third receiver that you're really sure is going to be that guy, your third receiver is your other tight end. So Morlock, by the way, in question with Morlock, can he get just a little bigger? And it's funny to say about a guy that's six, six plus. But can he add 10 pounds this, this summer? He moves so well. I want to see him be just a little more powerful as a blocker. I thought he was more, watching him on, you know, in, against D2 competition, I thought he was a more powerful inline blocker than he is. And I didn't think he was quite as athletic as he is. So it's one of those things, it's hard to adjust for competition. But he's a real athlete. He did have the one drop, but the soft hands are evident. And, you know, he can he can get in the seam and be a vertical player, vertical threat. He just needs to be a little bit stronger, get a little stronger. And that's got to be a point of emphasis all all offseason. If he can get stronger and go, going into this season, then that whole setup can be just such a huge weapon. Now, other things that I was looking at going into the spring. The safety position. I, I, I still think that. You know, Akeem Dent and Shaheem Brown should be okay as starters. They'll be fine. You hope to get more playmaking from that pair, but I think you're at least likely to get steady. The thing you got last year from from uh, Jamie Robinson is you got playmaking from that position as well. Uh, and I'm not sure that, they, that they're going to be able to get that from safety. You hope that they can. That's where That's what you're hoping for. But steady is great. If you can get steady, if they can keep those two on the field as the, as the primary safeties and they can stay healthy and all of that, they can be steady. And steady is good enough, given what they have around them. But they, I think you still need to have at least two other safeties you feel really comfortable about rotating in, given how they're going to have to go. You know, you want to have some dime looks. You want to be able to go big nickel, some of those things. And for that... I did think Omari and Cooper looked more comfortable at safety than than uh, even I'd hoped. I mean, I think he looked pretty good at safety. So you feel I, I think you've got three guys there that you feel good with. That that's a that's a good thing. Now the question is fourth guy. Now Travis J is he that guy? Can he be that guy? Can he be a playmaker even at safety? If so, you got four. And then you feel pretty comfortable with that group. I think you feel comfortable with that group going in. If those four are your four and Jay ends up being reliable and a player, then I think you're pretty, you're, you're pretty comfortable going into the season. But I do think that the safety spot, there's still some questions there. And I do think that's the one spot where a quality transfer would be welcomed with open, open arms, especially if he's a guy that is willing to be the third safety. Now, if he's going to be a, a top-level guy, an immediate starter, and, and better than, say, Shaheem Brown, well, then obviously you take that guy. 
But this is one spot where I think you, you, you keep your antennas out for a quality transfer. Now, corner, Cypress looked fine. I, I think in general, he's, he, 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 he's going to be steady, if nothing else. I'm not sure he's a true eraser or difference maker, like a true number one corner. He's kind of like a 1B type corner based on what I saw here. But the traits are there for him to be pretty darn good. And obviously he was really good in a, in a different kind of scheme last year. But I think what he does is he ensures that your corner depth is going to make sure that that position isn't a liability this year. You've got to feel pretty good about the four that you're putting out there. So I think your starters going into next year are going to be Green and Cypress. You're also going to see, see Jerry and Jones, who didn't play in this game. You see Jerry and Jones and, uh, and, and Thomas. So AZ Thomas as your other, your other two. And if you rotate those four, I think you feel pretty good about that. I think Green's your alpha. Green's your, 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 I think he's the best corner of the group. I think he, at this point, is, is better than Cypress. Cypress has the capacity to maybe pass him, maybe. But I think if those are your two corners, they're not elite, elite corners. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, 2013 level secondary. But that's a that's a that's a set of corners that you feel pretty good about. And then you add greedy Vance to that as a as a slot. He looked good, and you know there was there wasn't a whole lot of space there in terms of uh, of the secondary. I thought they did a better job pattern matching as a whole across the secondary than they did last year. And that's from the linebackers to the nickel all the way to the to the corners. I thought. As a whole, they did a better job pattern matching, and that's that's a really important thing. Uh, and you pair that with with good pass rush, and you're gonna you're gonna get more plays. So, I think in general, I came out pretty optimistic about the corner position and about the secondary as a whole. Uh, and and of course, sixteen uh, Quindarius Jones, he flashed more than once. That that guy's a hit. Give him a year, and he's contending for a starting role. And, and and his position versatile too. I mean, he's he's he gives you that big corner you can stick on the boundary and and be really competitive and you know runs well enough and, and is big enough that if he ever had to make the move, he could play safety too. So you feel really good about that one. That guy's a hit. That's a that's a hit in recruiting. And it's amazing that he was not recruited by every SEC program because that that, that guy can play. So you feel pretty good about that. So that brings us then to the other thing that I was really interested in looking at, and that's the defensive line depth chart. I mean, I wanted to see kind of how's this going to shake out because you got a lot of bodies. And you'll remember I'd said I was interested to see what, say, Antavius Woody might look like in there because, you know, there were so many guys in front of him. And it's like you got that good of a recruit, that good of a body who's probably fourth on the depth chart at that spot, you know, like the number eight or nine defensive tackle on your roster. Like, what's that guy even going to look like? Is he going to be able to press for it? <laughs> it really doesn't matter because he just hit the portal. And the crazy thing is that based on what we saw, I don't, I think it's pretty unlikely he's going to be missed. Not, not just this year, but for the future. When you're letting that kind of athlete go on the interior and you don't even notice, that means you've, you've gotten pretty healthy in terms of your roster. To me, the guys that really flashed 
You got to love what you see from Daryl Jackson. He's just a load in there. And then Ao Tifase flash more than once. The athleticism just jumps off the screen at you. Just a totally different kind of guy wearing 91 than what they had the last couple of years. I mean, Cooper was a good defensive tackle, no doubt. But I mean, he was a fire hydrant, you know, just uh, or a big bowling ball, just a, a huge presence on the inside that would just take up space. Tifase is a guy that's getting penetration. He's got like Broderick Bunkley type capacity as a as in terms of being able to to compress the pocket. I mean, he can he can control you with his hands, heavy hands. But then what surprised me is watching how well he moved when he would chase laterally. And he's a that's a guy that plays hard. So really pleased with what you see there. And I thought 95, I thought Daniel Lyons flashed a few times as well, really flashing quickness more than power at this stage. But that's a guy that with another 10 10 pounds, you know, continuing to develop his body is a guy that next year, so not this year, but next year becomes a guy that is contending again for starter type minutes and becomes a disruptor. Briggs looked like he was Briggs, you know, starting to look a little bit more like the old Briggs, not the post-injury Briggs. So still working back, but pretty good. And then, you know, that that's four guys. And you haven't even talked about the guy that's sitting out. I mean, Fabian Lovett didn't play. So, <laughs> I mean, geez, that's uh, that's crazy. So, you go down the list. They're so deep on the inside that they move Bishop Thomas, number ninety. They move Bishop Thomas, you know, three hundred pounder to the edge. He's playing Fox sort of a Keir Thomas type at that spot, giving them a, a third third option there. And and I did see, I mean, they, they didn't show many of them, but I did see a few times they were in 5-2 looks. So three defensive tackles on the field, and then, you know, two true edge guys. So, and I think we're going to see some of that this year, three defensive tackles on the field at, at different times. And that's where you can you can slide Dennis Briggs out if you want, I think I think Braden Fisk is a guy that they're going to definitely play on the edge there. He he's a guy that looking at what they have inside the the challenge is going to be where to where to get all these guys the reps that they need. I mean there's only so many reps in a game. The challenge is going to be to make sure that they're that they're maximizing that depth on the inside. That you don't overplay your best guys in there because you you do need to have some of the younger guys take up important reps to basically eat up those reps so that your your top guys are absolutely healthy for the most important reps of, of the game. And, I mean, I think right now, looking at the roster, I mean, Malcolm Ray didn't play. Braden Fisk didn't play. And with what I saw, they were still six deep on the interior with ACC-level, SEC-level interior Defensive lineman. I mean, and that, that that's counting Lovett, who also didn't play. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I think next year, your your top four, probably Lovett, Daryl Jackson, Fisk, and Farmer as your, your first four. But you still got Briggs and Tifase 
that takes you to six. And then where where's Malcolm Ray? You know, is he your seven? Daniel Lyons, your eight, maybe. I mean, that that beca- that gets really interesting. And that's exactly what you hoped for coming out of spring. And so, you know, maybe you play Fisk a good bit more on first down at the Fox. And now you're you're going to, you know, three bigs where you go Fisk, Jackson, and Lovett as your starting starting three there. You know, a lot of different a lot of different flexible options up front for what you want to do. The hard part is going to be managing to optimize based on what bodies you have on what kinds of plays against what teams and all of that. And I think, again, you're going to want to put like love it. A couple of these guys on a, on a pitch count against LSU. You play them a lot more against Syracuse. You hope that guy plays, you know, 15 snaps. That's what you're hoping for. You're hoping to be able to blow some teams out so that you're, you're starting, starting defensive tackles are playing, you know, 12, 15, less than 20 plays in some of those games. And the younger guys are just playing the entire game. That's what you're hoping. So looking at the, uh, uh, so I actually finished recording this whole episode and then looked at the clock and went, wow, I went basically an hour here. So uh, that's, that's too long for a single episode. I'm going to go ahead and cut this in half here. This is going to be the first of two parts. Second part is going to open up with my thoughts on the edge uh, position and then work my way all the way to the offensive uh, offensive line and uh, and beyond and and all and finish up with some quarterback discussion. But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap here for this first episode of what has become uh, a two part episode looking at the spring game, evaluating the spring game. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.